week we wrap up all together, and it's going to be a great time with the children and student ministries upstairs. But tonight, I believe God wants to also speak to us. And I want to start with a question and just ponder it for a moment. What does it mean? I'm going to throw a terminology out that no doubt if you have been around any church for any amount of time, you have heard this phrase. It's been used. You've probably used the phrase. But stop and think, what does this phrase mean? Seeking God's face. Let's just seek God's face. Who, who wants to seek God's face? Oh, let's, let's make sure we make it a point to seek God's face. But what does that mean? Let's just ponder that. The face of God. The first mention of God's face is found in the account of Cain and Abel. Cain had just murdered his brother, and God began to, he handed out punishment. And in Genesis 4, it says, he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood, it crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said, Lord, my, my punishment is more than I can bear. I don't know about you, but if we went to our local prison, we went to Leavenworth and, and Chillicothe, we went to our prisons, and we said, hey, y'all can leave this place, but you're going to be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. I think the majority of people would say, cool, works for me. I, I, that's not a terrible punishment. If I can go free, I just need to be a fugitive and a vagabond. doesn't really sound like, okay, if I, I'm the, I mean, granted, Cain is the first murderer in human history. So to me, I'm like, this guy just got off easy. I'm not really sure why he's complaining. He, only punishment at first glance is he has to till the ground and be a fugitive. Till the ground and be a fugitive. You have to till the ground and be a fugitive. Oh, I can't handle this more than I can bear. What? Are you serious right now? I think Cain gets off easy, but then we find the real punishment as you read on. Genesis 4, 14. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and here we go. From thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and vagabond in the earth. In verse 16, it says, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. So we read about Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve had this incredible just conversation where they'd walk and talk to God in the garden. It appears that Cain and Abel had that same type of relationship. They're walking, they're talking. Cain is conversing with God here. Even after he murdered his brother, God is still in conversation with him. And now he says, God, I can't, I can't handle it. All right, here's your punishment. Yeah, but, but, but I can't handle this. This is more than I can bear. It, yeah, sure, it would be tough to be a fugitive. Sure, it would be tough to till the ground. But the real punishment was he was now going to be out of the presence of the Lord forever and ever and ever. And so, he now is removed permanently from the face of God. 
God desired this type of incredible relationship with his people. In Cain's case, he rejected God. God then rejected him and cut off that relationship. Just like us today, we, we can't just continue to reject God and he's always going to be there. At some point, every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess. On, at some point, the earth and the works that are therein will be burnt up. We have scripture for this. At some point, time as we know it will end and eternity will begin. At some point, you and I will spend eternity somewhere forever and ever and ever without it ever stopping. That is either going to freak people out or excite people. To me, I want to say that's exciting. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord forever and ever and ever. But it can scare some if we're going, I'm not ready. Well, then we need to get ready. How do we get ready? We align our lives with Scripture, with the Word of God. But, but Cain, he, was re, he, he, was, he rejected God, and so God cut off that relationship. But then it, it, this didn't stop God from continuing to reach out to humanity in an incredible manner. Exodus thirty three eleven says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again to the camp, and Joshua, the son of Nun, departed not out of the tabernacle, which is a whole other message. But check that out. He spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. You see, this relationship that God wanted with humanity was not a dictatorship. It was not a, here's my rules and laws and regulations. If you don't follow them, I'm dropping you in the pit of hell. No, it was this, hey, I'm still in conversation even after you're the first murderer of Cain. If thou doest well, wilt thou not be accepted? He reaches to Moses. He says, I'm talking to Moses just like my buddy, my pal. Isaiah glimpsed at God's face in Isaiah chapter 6. Simon Peter fell on his face before the Lord in Luke 5. John saw Jesus high and lifted up and crumbled to the ground in Revelation 1. The lesson is simple yet profound. Only those on their faces have seen the face of God. Only people that knew, wow, I'm in the presence of God, that were willing to humble themselves and to get in. And they're the ones that go to a depth in their relationship with God that the average person does not understand. As we seek his face, he reveals himself to us. When David dedicated the temple, the tabernacle to the Lord, he urged the people something. Look at 1 Chronicles 16, 11. He said to the people, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. This is not a one-time thing. This is not a, 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 okay, hey, when a powerful service, when an evangelist comes through, when they sing your favorite song. No, it was a seek his face continually. They were dedicating this tabernacle, this, this temple that was going to stand, and this was going to be the place where God's people would worship and bring sacrifice and come and, and, and sing and, and worship him. And he says, hey, as we open this place, make sure that you remember to seek his face continually. When we seek the face of God, we seek him and all that he is, and God's willing to wait on us until we're ready to pursue him. He, uh, Hosea 5.15 says, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. 
this is scripture. God says, hey, I'm going to go to my place. Well, where is that? He's everywhere present. Yeah, but a God who's everywhere present can be everywhere present and see all and know all, but he doesn't engage with all at all times. And so for him, he says, if they're not going to, if they're not going to acknowledge their offense and seek my, but what is that? Repentance and pursuit of God. If we're not going to do that, he says, I'm going to go to my place. I'm going to wait. I'll be there until someone makes a choice to pursue me. That makes me go, well, I mean, you read, that's the Old Testament. The New Testament, he says, hey, knock, and I'll open the door. Seek, and, and you'll find, ask me, and I'll give it to you. And, and, he, and he's imploring us to, to go to a depth in relationship that we've never been to, but yet, for some reason, we're just sometimes content with where we are, with existence, with maintaining but God's going, hey, ask me, seek me, knock, I'll open, watch what I can do. I'm going to just stay in my place until you're ready to acknowledge your offense, until you're ready to repent of your sins, and, and ready to pursue me, to seek my face. And so I don't, I don't want to, I, I just, I, I, I've never been to heaven. You know, I, I read these books about people who die and they come back to life and they write a book and everything. I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of skeptical, I don't know. But, uh. <laughs> you, you might love those books. I don't know. I, I, I just, eh, you know, just eh. so, so for me, I'm going, man, I, I wonder what that's like. But I, I can only wonder. But I, one thing I do imagine is that if God lets us to have some understanding of the present versus what we're going to be in the future, I have a feeling we would all go, man, I wish I would have sought God more. I wish I'd have had a deeper relationship with him. When you look back at all of the things that are irritating and aggravating and make us frustrated and scared and fearful and, and uh, all that, I think when we get to the scope of eternity, we're going to go, man, I can't believe I skipped two days of morning prayer because I was stressed about that. did I do that? Because really where we're at now, it's just our lives are but a vapor, just gone. And then we're going to be with him for eternity, forever and ever and ever. And he says, yeah, I'm just going to go to my place until they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. Because if they seek my face, man, I'll do some stuff. If we're not sensing the presence of God, it's probably because we're not seeking the presence of God. As we look in week one of the series, look at what God's promises to David's son Solomon. Look what he says here in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, right? That acknowledging my offense, realizing that there's sin, realizing that I'm in need of a Savior. He says, if they will humble themselves and seek my face. He says, I'm going to go to my place until they seek my face. Another time, he says, if my people will humble themselves. For one says, acknowledge their offense and seek my face. Another says, humble themselves and seek my face. It sounds very much to me like we serve a God who is wanting his people to know that they need him, that they're willing to repent of their sins, and that they are in pursuit of God Almighty. 
that we are not just like, well, yeah, hey, I go to this place. I mean, yeah, I consider myself a Christian. Me and him, we got a, we got a cool relationship. Like, no, that there's something in us that is going, I want more. I want to see him. I want to know him. I want to feel him. I want to understand him. I want to go into new depths where I've never been before. Uh, there, there's something in us. And you say, well, I don't know. How do I know whether or not I'm pursuing God? How, how do you answer those questions? Do you ever wake up and feel, oh God, I want to know you more. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to touch you. I want to understand you. I, wanna, I, want, I want you to reveal things to me. I, I pray God just, just right now I need you. Do we, do we wake up with that in our hearts and minds? Because those are the answers that let us know, am I really pursuing God? Am I really seeking his face? It's not like when we say seeking his face, you know, we kind of get, we get this, this picture of, of being a child, right? And like hide and seek, like, all right, one, two, three, no peeking, yeah, four, seven, eight, nine, ten. And you're just like, all right, ready or not, here I come. You know, this is what we think of, like, seeking God's face. But God's not hiding. He just says, I'm going to my place until they're ready to pursue me. Until they're ready to seek me. But when you're seeking God, that saying is true. You take a step toward him, he's taking more than one step toward you. It's not like he's hiding out going, well, let's see how about that. I, I, wanna, I, I don't really want them to find me. This is fun. Like, that's not him. The Hebrew word for seek used in 2 Chronicles 7, he says, it's the Hebrew word means to long for, to yearn for, to search with great care, urgency, or frequency. When you pray, hopefully we're all praying daily. When we pray, are we longing for God? Are we yearning for God? Are we searching with great care, with urgency, with frequency? Is that what our prayer life looks like? Because when he says, seek my face, long for my face, yearn for my face, urgently pursue my face with great care and do it with frequency. If we're going to seek God, it must be done with that. All of these. But is this the way we're praying right now? It's not, it's not to, this is not to be derogatory, to make you feel bad about your prayer life. It's, it's to go, wow, that's what Scripture says. That's what he wants to reveal to us. I want to go to that depth. I want to, because we're serving a God who isn't hiding from us. He's inviting us over and over to go to that depth. He's saying, if you do, th if my people will do this, this is what I'm going to do. Just seek me. Just knock. Just ask. I'm here. I want, God is desiring this relationship. That's the way he created us in the beginning of humankind, human history. And even after sin, he still is wanting this. It's 
this constant pursuit. King David, he becomes known as a man after God's own heart. And I've often prayed that since I've gotten serious about God in my teen years, just going, God, I want to be a man after your own heart. I want to pursue you, Jesus. But, but King David, he, now how did he become a man after God's own heart? Well, there's theories. There's all kinds of things that we can talk about and, and guess about. But, but I, I really believe part of this is he was chasing after God. He says this, I desire one thing. One thing. Look at Psalm 27, 4. Look what it starts off with. One thing. Not multitude. Not, no, he just says, one thing. One thing have I desired of the Lord. And that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. That is not a physical edifice, a structure that says, I just want to come to church on Sundays and I wish we had more services. No, it is just simply I one thing. There is one pursuit in my heart and my mind. There is one thing. Did David ever have other thoughts? Absolutely. And he messed up quite a few times too. But at the end of the day, there was one single pursuit that mattered more than anything, more than anyone, more than being king, more than all the riches, more than the power, more than the fame, more than the throne, more than the lineage, more than Israel itself. He said one thing, there's one thing that stands up above everything else, and that is that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. Again, anybody who was mightily used of God had this deep desire within them to see his face. He says, what's he say here? We don't say, well, yeah, Moses says, I want to see your face. We're going to read the story in a second. David never said, Lord, I want to see your face. What does that mean? He says, I want to behold the beauty of the Lord. He wanted to see God in his fullness. And so, well, no man can see God and live. And so, so a lot of people, they just said, you know what? No, God didn't even have necessarily a high priest. You know, he would go in and, and, and why, what, why are they saying about these people praying and these people trying to pursue God? Because at a time back then where it wasn't even like today where you could just walk into the presence of God, be filled with his spirit, it, 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 that wasn't there yet. But there were still some people that were going, I don't care what the norm is, what's acceptable. I don't care anything about any of that. I want to know my God. I want to know my Savior. It doesn't matter who says what. It doesn't matter who says you can't do this, you need to do this, or you need to fit in the social mold over here. No, 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 no. One thing, one thing in my mind, one thing in my heart, and that I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to behold His beauty more than anything else. I want to see God. hearts and our minds that go a lot of different directions. Anybody else? Sometimes I'm scared recently. I'm like, am I getting old? Like I, I, my, my thoughts are slipping away, but then I realize, I know it's because I'm thinking about 347 different things at the same time. And so I'm like, wait, my wife's like, honey, focus. Uh, yeah, okay, back to what I was saying. Uh, what was I saying? Like, ah, good thing it hasn't hit me in the pulpit yet. Because then you just go off on tangents because you don't remember. You don't want to say in a microphone, like, what was I saying? So you just go, yes. And you start talking about other random things and messages get very long. <laughs> Hallelujah. And immediately, everyone in the church went into intercessory prayer <laughs> for my brain. 
What is the singular desire of your heart? David said one thing. I can tell you what that one thing is. So if I began to ask you, what is the singular desire of your heart? If we all had to start this psalm, one thing have I desired of the Lord, dot, 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 what's yours? Have you already attained it? Are you on your way to it? Is one thing that you desire of the Lord, will it last beyond the grave? Does it die with you? Die with your kids? And when you retire, I mean, what, what, what is that one thing? One thing I desire of the Lord. What is your one thing? David's was eternal. It was not the temple. It's that I could behold the beauty of God. That I could dwell in his house forever. David was, David was a prophet. People don't understand this. He wasn't just the king. He wasn't just the shepherd boy. He, wasn't, he, he was a prophet of God. The things he wrote, the prophetic words, the utterances about the cross and Calvary and, and the crown of thorns and, the, and, and, and all that, the beard being plucked, all this, God spoke to David. He didn't have John the Revelator writing about, yeah, in the end times and the beast is going to come out and God, Jesus is going to come back. No, 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 David, but David still, before there even was like heaven, and he just said, I want to dwell in his house. One day forever. I want to behold his beauty. There was something innate in him that desperately wanted to know God. One thing. What's your one thing? Because guess what? We're such driven people. That's why you read in the Tower of Babel. It was even, it was even, you guys are on it, man. You guys are good. It was even... One thing, Tower of Babel, he says, nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. They were doing something outside the will of God, directly defying, disobeying God's commands. They were doing, it was not God's will, but yet God knew if I don't get down there, they're going to keep building that tower. They're going to make a name for themselves. They're going to accomplish what they set out to accomplish because he understands he made us in his image and we are a powerful being. More powerful with God, but even in your own humanity, when you're driven, you can accomplish great things on earth. And so he says, nothing will be restrained from them what they have imagined to do. So I'm going to go down and confound the languages. And that's where we have the beginning of languages in the book of Genesis and in the, in the history of the world. Even linguistic specialists cannot trace it further back than that, even though they say the earth is six billion years old. Interesting. But... You can't go back further than that because that's where languages start. But, but, but what, what does this mean? Well, he knows that, hey, if, if you, if that is the singular desire of their heart, oh, they can do it. They can accomplish it. Because guess what? Whatever yours is, one thing that I desire is dot, 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 and you have that answer, most likely, if you have the drive and the focus and the passion, you absolutely will see that one thing happen. Absolutely. 
So when that one thing is a spiritual thing, you say, one thing I desire. I want to see God. That becomes the driving force of your life. And guess what? You will see God. One elder in the church I grew up in always got up and said this, and I never forgot. It stuck with me all the time. He said, you can have as much of God as you want. Everybody, watching online, here tonight, every, every single human being, you absolutely can have as much of God as you want. The question is, how much of yourself are you willing to give? We can all, every one of us, we can have as much of God as we want. But how much of yourself are you willing to give? David said, one thing, I just want to see his face. Look at the passion with which Moses pursues God. Exodus 33, 12. One day Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, take these people to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You've told me I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If it's true and you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand. It almost, almost sounds disrespectful. It almost, almost sounds like a, a tinge of arrogance, like getting in the face of God. But no, they had a relation. You can't just walk in and go, all right, God, I'm our... No, they had a relationship. There was a communication here. There, and he said, you know what, Lord? We've been, you've been telling me this. You've been speaking to me. We've been in relationship. But I want something more than what I've had to this point. It's not disrespectful. He says, he says, I understand. He says, and remember that this nation is your own people. And the Lord replied, he said, I'm personally going to go with you, Moses. I'm going to give you rest and everything's going to be fine. Most people, they stop right here. All right, thank you. I appreciate the word. I appreciate the, how many times does God give you a little bit of a blessing, a little bit of a challenge, and we just stop and walk out there when God goes, man. If they would have pushed for a little bit further, went a little bit longer, like the story of that king that hit the rod on the ground and he hit it and he says, you're a fool if you would have hit it seven times, you would, I think it was seven, that you would have defeated them once and for all. How many times do we say, well, yeah, I went to the altar, oh, I prayed for a while, and, and if we would have just tarried, if we would have just pushed a little further, if we would have just held on a little longer, that, that we could have had a victory that would have been forever. And he says, he says, no, no, I'm going to go with you. But then Moses says, I'm not done. If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Moses, yeah, I have a relationship and you're promising me things, God. But I want you to tell me something today, Lord. If you're not going to go with me. I tell people, this, you, you're going to go take a job or, take, or, or move or whatever. You know, make sure God's going to go with you. But you know why people often do that real fast? One thing have I desired. And that will I seek after. He says, I'm going to go. If you don't personally go, I don't even want to leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and your people? If you don't go with us, for your presence among us is what sets your people and me apart from other people on the earth. You know what? There's, there's people that teach all kinds of different religions and beliefs and spiritual things. What makes you different? What makes me different? His spirit is what sets us apart. To this day, when you read this, for your presence among us sets your, pre your people apart. When his presence is among us, that is what sets us apart. And the Lord replied, 
I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. And then Moses responded and said, then show me your glorious presence. You know what? You would have thought he'd already stopped. God already did. Like, his first thing he said was awesome. His second thing he said was awesome. His third thing he said was awesome. Most people would just stop and walk out. Not Moses. He's like, no, 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 no. I have been walking with you and talking with you for years and years and years. And yes, we have a very good relationship, but I am sick of being in maintenance mode. I'm sick of just talking and existing. I want to go somewhere in you where I have never gone before. I don't want to just sit in services outside of tabernacles and watch pillars of fire and clouds of glory. There's something in me, God, that if you can do that, you can show me your face. I want to see your face. I don't want to just have you go with me. Yes, I want you to go with me. Yes, I want you to speak to me. Yes, I want all those things. But there's something in me that it doesn't matter how many years that I have been serving you. Because guess what? At this point, Moses 40, 80, he's probably, like I say, 40, 80, he's over 80 years old. He had no doubt. Saw, he saw the plagues. He led the people out of Egypt. He's talking to God face to face. He saw the, the, the death angel go through Egypt. He saw them part the Red Sea, walk through on dry ground. I mean, he saw some phenomenal things that we could just retire and say, oh, praise God. Or we'd, we'd be booked at all the churches we could go travel to just talking about, I'll tell you, brother, about a story I walked through and God parted the Red Sea. I walked through on dry ground. Hallelujah. And we'd be booked all over the place because people would go, man, have you heard his story? But there was something in Moses that said, no, no, I'm not living in the past. Certainly, we set up monuments. Certainly, we look back and we remember what you did. But God, I don't feel like I'm growing with you anymore. Yeah, but I'm going to go with you. I understand that. But I want something else. I'm going to lead you. I've been leading you. The pillar of fire, the cloud, you know, that's awesome. That's incredible. I know. Thank you, Lord. But I want something else. Yeah, I got the Holy Ghost years ago. And, you know, I pay tithes. I serve in ministry. I go to church all my, every, every time the doors are open. And, and you know, we, yeah, and I know. But now, somewhere along the line, I just started maintaining. And thinking about all the cool things that we got going on. But today, there's something in me. I want to see something I've never saw before. I want to hear something I've never heard before. And you know what? Maybe it's just in the future. He just sensed that, that desire from God that was saying, well, then just ask. You want to open a new door, a new dimension? knock. You want to see something you've never seen? I told you in the Old Testament and the New Testament, seek me, seek me, seek my face, seek my face. If my people just seek me, if they'll just seek my face, if they'll just pursue me, if they will just frequent, frequently pursue me and with everything in them, if that will become the, the, the single thing, the one thing. All right, Moses, stand here on this mountainside. 
because you've been seeking and pursuing and knocking and asking more than most. And so I'm getting ready to show you something that no other person in human history will ever experience. Stand here on this mountainside, and I and my fullness are going to go by you. And you're going to see something, and you're going to experience something you've never experienced before. What keeps us from experiencing that tonight? Well, I'll open the altar so we can come up and say, Lord, if you got anything for me, just give it to me. That's not what he did. That conversation was, I'm not content. I want more. I'm not, I don't want to be in maintenance mode. I don't want just a blessing. I don't want you just to speak. I want to see something, do something, know something that I've, I've never felt or known before. The Apostle Paul had this same thing in Philippians 3.8. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is why these people did the great things they did. Because they wrote, one thing, one thing have I desired of the Lord. And that's the thing I'm going to seek after. Paul says, everything else is worthless when it's compared to the infinite value. He said, for his sake, not for my, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage. Gotta love the New Living Translation. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Where else do we hear the language about the two shall become one? In marriage, that is why we are the bride of Christ. He doesn't just want a fling. He doesn't want just an occasional weekend conversation. He says, no, no, no. I am giving up everything else. Nothing else matters when it comes to God. Because with him, my whole goal is so that he and I can become one. So that when he fills me with his spirit and I am the bride of Christ and I take on his name in this water, that he and I can now move forward in one mind, in one accord that we become one but that only happens when there's a pursuit when there's something in me that says God all the other things that are distracting all the other things that are gathering around me I will deal with them and I will and I will do and I will I'll, I'll figure those things out but right now the only thing even as I as even as I go forward go to work as I go into all these things there's one thing that I desire I want to seek you I want to behold your glory I want to see your face Jesus so Hebrews, in, in another place, look at the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he says, let us strip off every weight and the sin that so easily trips us up. Not everything you set aside in your singular pursuit of God is sinful. He says, lay aside the weight and the sin, the weight and the sin. That's two separate things there based on what I'm reading. He's saying lay aside the weight and the sin. Sin, of course, yeah, that's going to keep us out of heaven. Stay away from that. But sometimes there are weights. Well, that's not bad. That's not sinful. I don't think that's a big deal. We spend so much time arguing what's over a heaven or hell issue that we're like, My, why don't you just set it aside if it's a weight? Just put it aside. Well, because three things. I'm currently seeking after, or five things, but when it becomes one thing, I can preach a lot more just fun messages. 
how do we do this though? I mean, it's tough to do sometimes to set these things aside. The very next verse gives us the answer. We do this. How? There's only one way. There's only one way. It is by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Seeking his face. Keeping our eyes on him. Pursuing him. Because right now, we start to pray, and we go, oh, that's right, I didn't do that. I still have to do that. Oh, man, they're calling. I got to, oh, I never answered that email. They're calling me at work. I got to text this. And, and half, the time we, 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 half the time, we can't even put it away for charge. And so we, we just, we're, 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 we're constantly, we're, we're, our, our eyes are everywhere. But how do we, we do this? How do I lay aside the weight? How do I lay aside the sin? How do I set, I only can do it one way. It's not even by sitting through church services. I, I can preach, but it's a hard thing, but I, I can't preach anyone into heaven. Man, I wish I could. I wish I could. There's probably a day too early starting off pastoring that I was so stressed out because I thought maybe I could. And after a while, you just realize, no, no. Sometimes you go home and you're like, that message was, I feel bad for those people. That was a terrible message. How long did I speak, honey? And she's like, ah. I'm like, oh, my word. There's a saying, if you don't hit oil in 30 minutes, quit boring, you know? Like, but then there's other times I'm like, no, that one wasn't on. That was pretty powerful. That was a powerful thought. And you just realize I can't, I can't preach anyone into heaven. The only way we're ever going to get to heaven, God's grace is going to help us. His spirit, absolutely. But even a spirit-filled person, he says, have we not prophesied in their name? We've cast out devils, people. Ah, depart from me. I didn't know you. Those are people mightily used of God. There's only one way we're getting to heaven, and that is by keeping our eyes on Jesus. In the midst of everything else, because we all have things. We could go pass around the mic, and it would be like, you think you got a lot going on? Well, let me tell you about it. Well, you think your job's hard. Well, we, could, we, could, we could just one-up each other all night long. trying to. We all got stuff going on. Yeah, well, pastoring is hard. Well, yeah, so it's hard. We're being in healthcare, working in the railroad, or working in construction, or working. I mean, like, we all have challenges. We all have distractions. We all have the things that sometimes we got to go, no, not right now. I got to lay aside this weight right now. Because right now, the only thing that matters to me is I got to get my eyes on Jesus. Got to get my eyes on Jesus. If you're trying to make it to heaven, doing the bare minimum, you might get in. Might enjoy eternity, but you might not. But if you're willing to set aside everything and say, God, I want to pursue you, seek your face more than anything, I believe that not just getting into heaven, my goal is not to just get into heaven, but I want to go into a realm. People like Jacob and Moses and David and Paul who entered a different dimension. 
And scripturally, we see and read they entered a different. They were willing to stay up all night, and I'm just about done, all night to be in God's presence. They fought until they received something from God. I don't think there should ever be fighting in the church, but I think there sometimes need to be some fight inside the Christian. There needs to be some things that says, you know what, the enemy, I'm so sad. I'm just very, my kids are doing, they're going through this. You say, you know what, at some point you need to stand up and say, get out of my house in the name of Jesus Christ. Get out of here. There has to be some fight that says, oh, no, no, I'm going to hold on. I'm going I'm I'm to I'm fight for my blessing. I'm going to hold on. Jacob will let me go. The dawn of day is breaking. I ain't letting you go until you bless me. I'm staying here. I don't care if I have to walk with a limp the rest of my life. That limp will forever remind me about the time I held on and won. I held on and won. My name was changed from Jacob to Israel. That God birthed something in me that he didn't ever birth in anybody else. He gave Abraham and Isaac a promise. But I'm the one who started Israel. Because I was willing to fight for some things that maybe even my daddy and grandpa didn't fight for. And so there's some things in people that Moses says, God, show me your, I'll go with you. You know, no, no, no. No, 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 show me your glory. I want to see your face. Moses, I'm telling you, I'll talk to you. I'm going to go with you. You're going to have rest on every side. No, thank you. I appreciate it. But right now, show me your glory. I want to see something that I have never seen before. Fine, Moses, stand on the side of the mountain, and you're getting ready to see something that no one else in human history will ever see. Fine, Paul. I'm going to show you some things and you're going to be a part of some things that no one to this day has ever matched what Paul has done. David, you're a man after my own heart. I'm telling you what, watch what I do with you. And for years to come in the Old Testament, he's still doing things. And it says, for my servant David's sake, for my servant David's sake. Hundreds of years later, he's still doing things for my servant David's sake, for my servant David's sake. Because something is birthed in the spiritual realm when men and women of God say, I'm not just coming to another altar call. I'm laying aside everything, every weight, every sin. One thing, you want me to answer that? One thing that I'm seeking after, it's the face of God. It's to be in His presence. It's to be mightily used of Him. It's to be anointed. It's to be Spirit-led. So church, my question is, what happens in Liberty, Missouri at Refuge Church on a Wednesday night when men and women of God say get me to an altar I gotta get to an altar I gotta lay out before the Lord I wanna humble myself I wanna I wanna seek his face I wanna say God where are you where are you right now where is the God of Jacob just like when Elisha smote the ground he said where are you at God and God said here I am now watch the miracle start what happens when we say God show me your glory David said in Psalm 27 when thou said to seek ye my face my heart said unto thee thy face Lord will I seek and then he said Lord hide not thy face from me God is inviting us right now to seek his face God's inviting some men and some women he's saying hey come on seek ask knock humble yourself seek my face watch what I'll do in church right now this is one of those messages I know I didn't strike out tonight this is a powerful word from God 
I wish I could preach every one of you into a time of deep and corporate prayer, into a time where you begin to seek God, but I can't do it. You're the only one. You're the only one that can go right now. God, I want you. I want to see your face. I want something beyond what everything else I've experienced. You probably experienced some awesome things, some great things, but don't let that be the thing that you stop at. Don't let that be the, the amen. Let something in you say, God, I want more. I want more. I want more. I want more, God. Show me your glory. Show me your face.